0: Welcome to the Round Rock Church of Christ teaching podcast. We're a faith community located in the central Austin area that gathers at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope this teaching blesses you as we become spirit-filled and spirit-led Jesus followers for those who do not have a home. Want to follow along that text that Wanda read this morning? That's going to be in Genesis 3, at the very beginning of your Bible, Genesis 3. It's where we'll spend a decent amount of time uh, this morning. I want to begin the new year by asking you the question of what kind of decision maker are you? What kind of decision maker are you? There was a research group who uh, attempted to help people answer this question by collecting the average time it took a person to make a decision. And the way that they did this was they took some of the most semi-common situations and pulled what's the average it takes for someone to be able to make a decision on this. So uh, the examples in the test study that they did was uh, (laughs) they included uh, moments like how long does it take you to decide to honk at someone at a green light or uh, telling someone in a movie Shh, when they're talking or addressing a coworker who is late or uh, looking at a parent who's not taking care of their child that's misbehaving. Or how long you would wait uh, for in line at Starbucks for a cup of coffee. And the stats were very interesting, very revealing. I want you to think for a minute, if you were at a stoplight and it's green and that person is not moving, are you waiting 5, 15, or 30 seconds? People came in with the average of saying they would wait 50 seconds, which I just don't think is true. It had to be skewed because people had to be like, I just wouldn't honk, I guess. But 50 seconds, most of us would not make that happen. Uh, Shushing someone in a movie theater while they're talking. 30 seconds, one minute, three minutes. How are we feeling? Mm -hmm. One minute, 52 seconds. So all I'm saying is count it while you're there, and once you reach the limit, it's socially acceptable, okay? All right. Uh, Shooting a look at a parent who their uh, child is misbehaving. 30 seconds, one minute, three minutes. Two minutes and 41 seconds. We are people of compassion for the young parents in the room. When it comes to a coworker who is late, how long will you wait before you decide, all right, I'm going to... I'm going to text them three minutes and 54 seconds. I can tell you that does not happen on our staff whatsoever. It's about five seconds and someone's texting, not personal experience whatsoever. And Starbucks, if we're in line for our coffee, it can be any coffee, but it doesn't have to be Starbucks. All right. How long are you waiting? One minute, five minutes, 10 minutes? The Lord's time, seven minutes. People will wait seven minutes before they make a decision to say something. Our lives are filled with decisions. You ever experience decision fatigue? You find yourself roaming throughout the day and even decisions that are small seem to start getting bigger. Life is full of decisions. Some are straightforward. Some are not so straightforward. Some of us, when we run into decisions that we don't know exactly what we should do or shouldn't do in the situation. Some of us take no time and we just make the decision. We're like, I, I don't know, I'll just, I'll just make the decision. Other of us, we, we take all the time or maybe we take too much time to make the decision. What this series that for the next five weeks I want us to unpack in January is how do we think about decisions where there isn't a straightforward answer? How do we spend our time making those decisions? And what's that look like? I'm talking decisions like, should I go ahead and retire or should I keep going for another year or two? Decisions like, do we move our aging parents into our place or do we move them into assisted living? Do I give more this year or do I save for a rainy day this year? Do I address the tension between my coworker and I or do I buy... My lip, do I keep going through the disappointment of being a Cowboys fan or do I hop on the bandwagon of being a Chiefs fan, even though their days are coming to an end? These are the questions we ask ourselves in our lives. (laughs) And then there's the question of God. What does God have to do with the decisions that we make in our life? Could God care less about some of these day to day decisions Or does God care to be brought into the loop? Will God help us with these decisions? And if God may, what does it look like to invite God into deciding something? For the beginning of this year, I want to talk about how do spirit-filled and spirit-led people make spirit-filled and spirit-led decisions in a series that we're going to call Decide. So that is the series that we'll be in. And uh, before we talk about any decision that is ahead of us, I want to simply and briefly talk today about actually not our decision making, but I want to talk about God's decision making. That's actually revealed through the scriptures in the beginning of the Bible. Oftentimes when God's story is told, people want to immediately move to the decision that's made by humanity that's represented in Genesis 3. Sometimes you'll hear Christians refer to this as the fall. And that is a very crucial decision made by humans. But the beginning of God's story actually doesn't have anything with humans making decisions. It actually begins with God, the creator of the heaven and earth, making a plethora of decisions. And if you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to give you a couple places where I want you to make some notes of the decisions that God makes in the beginning. As the writer of Genesis is articulating the decisions of God, one of the things I want us to catch is the decisions God makes reveals the goodness of God. And I want to walk through what I mean by that. So if you look with me not in Genesis 3, but in Genesis chapter 2, one chapter before this, if you look with me uh, in verse uh, 8 and 9, uh, when God is creating the heavens and the earth, here's how the creation account goes. And the Lord planned a garden in Eden, in the east, and there He put the man who He, who he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And there he also placed in the midst of the garden the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In two, chapter 2, verse 8, God decides to create a pleasurable world for humanity. God is almost described in Genesis 1 and 2, almost as like this interior decorator who is hanging the stars He's creating different vegetation and texture and trees, different things for humanity to experience. He wants goodness of places and things to be experienced by the humans that he is making to translate. God places you in this world with good and pleasurable things in the world, and you do not have to feel guilty about those things. You not need to feel guilty about great meals or good clothes or wanting to go to different parts of the world and see it. God gives those gifts for us to know the goodness of the giver. And this God, because he's good, creates a world where we decide the pleasant and pleasing things that we get to experience in life. So that's one of them that there are pleasurable things God creates. Let's keep going. In verse 15 and verse 20, uh, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. Later on, so out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird in the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Even hippopotamus, he did it. So God decides in the second move, God decides to place us in a purpose-filled world. Humanity isn't just placed into a world and said, don't break it. God actually places humanity in the world to till it, to keep it, and to name it. In other words, the world is not stagnant that God makes. The vocation of humanity is to take the goodness of God and make more goodness out maybe that's a good way of thinking about the work that is in front of you work cannot be just defined as what you go to your eight to five job the work of god is taking what good things god has created in your life and making more good things out of it that's why people in the world who don't even know the lord may say things like i just want to do some good in the world when someone feels that instinct they're tapping into the instinct of God creating a good world. That God's work is creating and making and maintaining good, whether that's changing diapers, being a listening ear for someone, fixing toilets, or engineering better structures. To translate, God has made you in His image, which means you reflect a portion. Of the living God, which means whatever skills, desires, passions that are placed into you. Are actually your ability to mimic God and contribute good things to the world. And the Lord lets you decide what those things are. So that's the second one is that he decides to give humanity purpose. The third one. Uh, this is going to be Genesis 2, 21 and 22. Uh, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took out one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. In Genesis 2, 21 and 22, God decides to place other people in the world. God begins by placing a woman next to the man, a partner, a helper, sometimes use the same word that describes God throughout the Old Testament as a way of reflecting God's help in a physical form to translate. When God creates the world, God creates humanity in such a way that humans need other humans. That people are to live with one another because they are to help one another and they are also to step in and help each other When needed. So the third is this. Is that God decides to create people. And then finally the last one. In Genesis 2 verses 16. uh, And the Lord God commanded the man. You may freely. Eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat from the day that you eat of it. You shall die. God decides. Lastly to place. Possibility of relationship. Relationship between humanity and divinity together. In placing the tree is the possibility of acceptance or rejection towards God. In other words, in God's grace, God doesn't give humans control. That's God's role. But God does give autonomy. Not that God gives endless boundaries, but gives humanity the security of freely living within the boundaries that God sets. Now, you may be asking, why do we take the time to walk through all four of these things? It's crucial in God's story to understand God's posture towards decisions. Maybe an illustration would help. I, uh, I was thinking this week of uh, when I was uh, in elementary school, I remember that I would rate a teacher By the amount of crowns that she offered or requested in her classroom. The more stingy the teacher was of crowns, the more I knew I was in for a bad year. Any teacher that was like, you need to bring eight or you need to bring 12. They were going to be brutal. Okay, it was the teachers who they had more crowns that they offered or they were the teachers that they had 16 or 24 packs of crowns. Those were the teachers you would get excited about. More generosity, more creativity, funner ideas. I don't even know if funner a, a word. I don't think it is. But I felt it as a little kid. I even remember one teacher. She had a 64-pack. And that was the best year of elementary I ever had in my life. What I'm trying to say to you is that when God creates the world, God is a God who's creating a classroom that is a 64-pack of crayons. That God is not a micromanager, and that's good news for some of us. When God creates a world, God does not create an expensive model that is like, don't touch, don't break. God is more like a God that throws Legos out on the living room floor and says, get at it, make some decisions. Continue the goodness that I have. God doesn't give you decisions to torture you. God gives us decisions to show his love for us and also to share in that love with us. And the only thing that God sets up is he sets up reminding us to not forget who is the teacher and who is the student of the world that's created. And as many of us know in the story and the piece that Wanda just read, and it's been highlighted when people talk about the story of God, is that a different decision is made. That humanity actually eats of the tree. But it's not an accident of how it comes to be. We actually are told in Genesis 3 that there is someone at work against the good work, of God, And it's not just something that happens. It's a process of Eve talking to a source that is against the work of God. That Eve starts to question the goodness of God. Christians have actually said that this is a really good way to start thinking about sin. This is why early church mothers and church fathers would say that sin is rooted in disbelief. The disbelief of the goodness of God. Sin is when we don't trust that God can handle our lives fairly or well. So we think we need to take our lives into our own hands because we can do better than what God wants to do. And Eve makes this decision described in verse 6 by three sources. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, in other words, when she... Was driven to make the decision by her stomach. And that was a delight to her eyes. In other words to look with her vision. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate it. She let her stomach her eyes and her desire for control. Be the leading decision maker. And to operate outside of God's world. Is to no longer see the way God sees. But to simply choose how to see it. How you want to see it. Or maybe another way to put it. Is that a life that seeks control. Makes decisions thinking we can see everything. Or we can see just as much as God can. And as we find in Genesis 3. That's just not true. That God can see more. And the implications of Eve and Adam taking of the fruit are massive. But I do not, for this first week, want us to take our eyes away from God's posture towards this terrible decision. God is not like some of our people who, when we make bad decisions, gives us the silent treatment, walks away from us, or never hands us another decision again. God actually doesn't walk away from humanity. God actually walks towards humanity. And if you look closely at the story of God, you can look at just the first two questions of the Bible and know the nature of who you can rely on with the decisions that you make in the world. If you're struggling with the idea of a story with a serpent, let me tell you, the library of Scripture says that the serpent that is in that story is the accuser. He is the Satan. And his first question that he gives humanity is one that brings disorientation. But did you notice the first question of God, of Yahweh, is one of reorientation. The Lord doesn't say, I told you so. Or how could you do that? What the Lord actually does is the Lord Wants to process and ask. Who told you? that? What made you think? That? Humanity wants to hide and blame. God wants to process and name. If you're wondering this morning, what does God want to grow with me in when it comes to my decisions? One of the steps is God wants to process and name with you. The sources that draw you away from him. The Lord actually walks towards our poor decisions and bad decisions and wants to process with us and name the sources of those decisions. And all of us, we know the value of naming something. Imagine how it would go for some of you. If you showed up to your doctor's office every single time something was going on, And your doctor sat down in front of you and went, yup, something is definitely not going right. What is it? I I don't know, but it's not good. It's not good. I could probably use a big terminology to describe it's not good, but I don't know. You want to know details. You want to name what's going on with there. And what's being named is sin, but what the Lord wants to do is actually process with us. And name the sources of those poor and bad decisions. Soul work with God is processing prayerfully with God. The decisions that we're not proud of. and naming the sources, where did it come from? Was it driven by our stomach or our eyes or our desire to control? And if we had the time, we would read through. After God processes with humanity, there's a long description of how sin enters the world of brokenness. And God does sit and reflect on the pain and the hardship that will be brought into the world because of humanity's decision. As a matter of fact, by the time you and I are born into the world, we can hardly recognize some of this world that's described in Genesis 1 and 2. But once again, I do not want to move to our decision just yet. I want to move towards God's posture. Towards our decision. You know, I think for some of us, maybe the reason we don't like to come to church a lot. Maybe for some of us, it's why we don't really appreciate when people are like, we should spend time in silence or we should spend time in prayer. I'm convinced sometimes the reason we don't like that is because it makes us have to look at maybe some of the pain and hardship of decisions we've made, decisions we wish we could take back in our lives, and we don't want to relive them. And I guess the word I want to finish with today for those of us who deeply want to do soul work with God, who want to make decisions alongside with God, one of the steps of reflecting on those decisions is just knowing God's posture towards you in those decisions. The story of Genesis finishes with the reality of the consequences of decisions, but God still covers humanity at the end. He graces them as they leave the garden. Which there's an assurance that's there. That even in your bad decisions, God is not done with you walking away from you or is giving you the silent truth. Because the Bible culminates to a moment of the story where not just a human that reflects the image of God, but is the full embodiment of God. After God's people make the poor decision over and over and over again, God becomes human and dwells. With humans. And that same accuser comes and invites Jesus, Will you turn these stones into bread? In other words, will you be driven by your stomach? And Jesus says, No. And he says, Will you do something miraculous to show that you are special? And Jesus says, No. And he comes and he shows him great power and wealth that can be achieved. And he says, Will you simply bow to me so you can achieve these things that you know are ultimately in God's plan? Jesus says, no. And the reason Jesus makes those decisions is because in each no, He gives the accuser. He's giving a yes towards you. You worship a Lord who came on the earth, faced all the difficult decisions in which you and I will face. And he chose the way God desired for him to choose. Which means that his decision to get on that cross, to be crucified, to be buried, to trust God in death, to be resurrected, means his decision can overpower and forgive any bad decision you have made in your life. And the good news for those of us who have made a decision towards Him already is that the ascended and resurrected Jesus wants you to know you have someone in your corner for making decisions. As a matter of fact, for Jesus to be ascended is the promise of Jesus saying He will be with you in the big decisions, in the small decisions, And what's true of Yahweh in Genesis 3 is true of Jesus Christ seen in the Gospels and it's true of the God who walks with you today. That He walks with you by the breeze of His Holy Spirit. And that's some good news because that means you and I are people who are not alone. We have someone every day we can turn to when it comes to the big decisions in the small of the city that's what we'll camp on for the next couple of weeks. So Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the moment this morning just to be able to lift your name and praise your name. Lord, we pray, can your posture, your love towards us seep into our hearts. Lord, can you remind us of your goodness? And Lord, can you keep reminding us of your goodness? Even when we think about the decisions that we made that weren't so good. Jesus, we thank you for your blood covers us and forgives us and heals us. In spirit, we pray, can you help us to make decisions that are not our will, but your will. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We are still